Welcome to the interview edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and plenty of great interviews to get to this particular week as we've got a great main event coming up this weekend with big ramifications in the middleweight division between Jack Hermanson and Marvin Vittori. Now, why am I pronouncing Jack Hermanson's last name in such a strange way? Well, I asked him before we spoke how it would be pronounced in his native Sweden, and that is how he says it is pronounced. So... Like the middleweight champion, Israel Adesonia, I want to try and stay true to these great athletes and uh, the way that their last names are pronounced in their native tongue or in their native country. So I'm going to pronounce it in that manner. He's taking on Marvin Vittori in the main event, and Marvin will also be joining us on the show today in addition to Ermanson. So we'll speak to both main event combatants, and I was... Uh, very excited to speak with Kayla Harrison this week. Kayla Harrison, I have uh, never interviewed before, and I think she's one of the up-and-coming stars in the sport, one of the top athletes in women's MMA, a two-time Olympic champion. And uh, PFL have signed another two-time Olympic champion in Clarissa Shields, and I was very interested to hear her opinions on that particular signing, as well as you know perhaps what might be happening in her post-PFL life, if she's going to be fighting again sometime soon. Lots to discuss with Kayla Harrison. Also got to delve a little bit on her background, her mindset, and the things that make her tick as an athlete. So I, uh, I enjoyed getting a chance to speak with her. And finally, Jake Collier joins the show. Jake recently moved up to the heavyweight division, was unsuccessful in his first fight as a heavyweight. I was looking up a lot of uh, information on him, trying to find uh, interviews with him, and uh, you know he's not on Instagram. Not a lot of information about him, so it was nice to talk to somebody who I didn't really know much about. Not the most talkative guy, but we uh, we did get to spend about eight minutes together, and uh, you can learn a little bit about Jake and uh, why he decided to move up to heavyweight, what he's been doing uh, this year, and uh, what he did during his suspension. Spent about a thousand days away from the cage. And now he's back uh, for his second fight of 2020, this coming weekend against Jean Volante. So let's get to it. We'll start with our first interview with Jack Hermanson, followed by Marvin Vittori, Kayla Harrison, and Jake Collier. Thanks for tuning in to this week's TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. I'm joined now by Jack the Joker Hermanson, who is in the main event this weekend. Um, I'm, I'm excited for this main event, but you, you keep getting all of these new opponents. Is this this is for sure the final opponent, as far as you know? As far as I know, but we don't know, you know. <laughs> it, it still can change, we, <laughs> but hopefully it doesn't, you know. Everything seems good so far with this one, so hopefully we didn't don't get any res negative results or, uh, or should I say, positive uh, with the COVID test. <laughs> I sent uh, Tim Simpson a, a text asking him to prank you and, and say that you had another new opponent, but he refused to oh. do it. Oh, oh, oh. oh man. <laughs> then we'll see who the real Joker is, if I could pull that off. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't trust him the next time. <laughs> well, I've got to say, uh, you're not getting your, your proper due going into this fight. I, I looked at the odds for this fight and saw that you were the underdog. I feel like people aren't giving you enough credit for how you beat Kelvin Gastelum. Nobody has ever beaten Kelvin Gastelum like that. And I think Kelvin is one of the toughest middleweights uh, in the division. Uh, and now I see you yeah. as an underdog here, and I, I just can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, I agree. It's crazy. I feel like people almost felt like, oh, no, it was a fluke with Kelvin or something like that. But to be honest, that kind of finish is something I do in training all the time. 
So it's something that I am good at. It, it wasn't his mistake. It was like, I am very, very good at doing that. So, well, yeah, I don't know why I don't get the credit. <laughs> you have to capitalize on someone's mistake in order to do that. I mean, that's what this game is all about, is finding those inches where people leave you an inch and you're able to capitalize on that. And you're, you're brilliant at finding those. Yeah, and, you know, let, let, let's, uh, you know, in, in a stand-up game, you can throw a punch with closed eyes, you know, and you can hit the target and, uh, and he, he will uh, get knocked out. But in the grappling, you know, you need so many transitions to get to a finish like that. There is no luck in that. So what do you know about Marvin Vittori? Have you had enough time to really scout him and wrap your head around him being your opponent? Yeah, for sure. I've known about Marvin for years, uh, you know, even since before the UFC. So uh, I'm familiar with him and I know what uh, style he brings. And uh, yeah, I feel uh, super ready and very confident. I'm hoping that during the standoff this week that you'll smile at him because he never seems to smile. He's got an, an angry scowl on his face all the time. I just, I would like to see the contrast there. And I think it would just make him <laughs> even angrier. Yeah, we'll see about it. Uh, there, there, there might be, like, usually I'm, I'm, I'm not smiling to my opponents. Uh, if, if they, especially if, if they doesn't look friendly. And Marvin, he's, he's rarely fr friendly with his opponents. So we will see. If he earns a smile. <laughs> well, I saw the video of, uh, of Tim calling you and letting you know that Kevin Holland was out. You were already in Las Vegas when you received that call, right? So, I mean, basically the choices are get on an airplane and go back 20 hours or whatever it takes for you to get back to your home or stay in Vegas and take this new opponent. Yeah, exactly. So there was really no thought of, second thought about it. You know, I was just, oh, yeah. Thank you. You have a new opponent. That, that, that's that's. So much better than doesn't than uh, than don't having an opponent at all. So I was just happy that uh, there was still uh, going to be a fight. And I mean, I guess you lucked out as well because you're at the top of the division. You don't want to fight just anybody. Um, I think that this is actually a, this is I think the best fight of the three of Darren Till, Kevin Holland, Marvin Vittori. I think stylistically, this has the chance of being the most exciting fight uh, out of all of them. Yeah, I still feel like Darren has a bigger fan base and he's a bigger name. But uh, comparing to Kevin Holland, uh, at least Marvin has a number against uh, it, beside his name. So uh, I'm happy that he's ranked. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I feel it's going to be a good uh, fight. How do you always manage to stay so upbeat? I mean, it seemed like you got that call. You were still kind of in a good mood after afterwards because, like you said, you got an opponent while you were already in Las Vegas. But how do you manage to keep such a, an upbeat demeanor? I feel like there is some things that is out of your control and, uh, you know, you need to just deal with the situation and do the best out of it. Uh, and I feel like the situation uh, during the circumstances isn't that bad, you know. Uh, I'm here, I have a fight, and uh, yeah, I'm going to win that one and then I'm going to uh, enjoy the rest of the year. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. You would bring something very unique to the table for um, the champion, Israel Adesanya. Uh, right now, it seems like the plan is for him to move up to 205, and uh, that division would kind of be in limbo. Do you, do you foresee there being an interim championship at some point in time if he does go up? Uh, it might happen, but I hope not, uh, because I feel like I don't want to be standing there with the belt around my waist and not beat the champ, you know. It, it, it would be like something weird about it. Uh, uh, it's a dream of mine to become the champ, and uh, I don't want to become the interim champ before that. So uh, I really hope that he wins and that he comes down to defend his belt. 
Yeah, I, I guess it's not a certainty as of yet, but that has been what Dana White's been saying. I, I don't know. He, he thinks that Robert Whitaker doesn't want to face Israel next, but I, I haven't heard him say anything along those lines. I don't know where that came from. Uh, I don't think, yeah. It's probably just that they wanted the fight to happen sooner than Robert wanted to because of his personal circumstances, getting a new kid. And he, he has, Robert has a timeline that he's not going to interrupt. And I think that's what Dana is uh, referring to, actually. Okay, so it's not that Robert came out and said, I don't want this fight. It was just a matter of the, the timing. Certainly. I mean, Robert's got a lot going on in his personal life, so I can certainly understand that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what, what it's about. So in terms of Marvin, what do you, what do you think he's going to bring to the table that's going to be challenging for you? What do you think is his best attribute since you have been watching him for all these years? Uh, pressure. And he has a good physique. He's strong. And uh, he's uh, pretty all-round. He doesn't have any big weaknesses. So I think those are the three main uh, main things. He's gonna pressure. He's strong, and uh, and he's he's all-round skilled. Uh, even though he's not extremely skilled at any uh, part of the game, I feel like he's uh, he's all-round. Do you think that his strengths are comparable to the last person to beat you, to Jared Cannonier? No, uh, I don't actually. I, I don't feel like he is as, you know, explosive as uh, Cannonier is. I think Vittori is probably strong in the body, but not as explosive. Uh, I don't think Vittori has that one-punch knockout power like uh, Cannonier does. What's your favorite part about being a mixed martial artist? Like, what, what, what do you get the most joy from when it comes to, you know, your approach to these fights? Definitely... To win a fight, that's that's the most uh, that's the best feeling in the world. There's nothing that can uh, can come even close to that. But I also enjoy the the lifestyle of being a fighter. I like my my routines. I I like to set myself goals and to work hard uh, to achieve them. Um, yeah, um, I, I feel like I uh, am enjoying my life, and uh, that's uh, because I I do what I love. So. Yeah, yeah, I enjoy the lifestyle as a mixed martial artist. I've been watching your documentary videos on YouTube uh, leading up to this fight, and you and your coach are a very good pair because he's a real control freak, and it seems like you're very laid back. Is, is that a good, good dynamic that the two of you have built? <laughs> well, you know, in some parts and some parts not. Uh, no, I don't know, man. He, he's not very uh, organized. He's not very organized. He's, uh, he's messy. And, uh, yeah, he, so I wouldn't say that he's a control freak, but, uh, it, it, like, I'm probably more of a control freak in, in, some, uh, in some ways. But, yeah, we, we are, uh, <laughs> we, we have di different sides, definitely. And, uh, but we work, work uh, well with each other, you know. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we have a long r relationship and... Uh, I feel like uh, you know there is a few people that know knows me as well as my coach, so it's it's good to have him around, even though we mess a lot with each other. I always say the biggest control freaks are the people that are afraid of flying and afraid of being passengers in cars, and he's both of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that, that that's true, that's true. But uh, yeah, he he's actually not too like uh, yeah. Uh, I'm very like you know I like to be extremely in time i love to have my routines i love to to have things clean and tidy you know and uh, 
uh, he's a little bit more. Uh, he doesn't care too much uh, about stuff like that. So uh, yeah, I think it's actually reversed there. Even though I'm not as afraid of flying as he is, but I don't think he's uh, afraid of sitting in a car normally. <laughs> it's more. It's more when I am driving. You know. <laughs> well, you're driving on the wrong side of the road. So I mean, I'm sure that doesn't help. I, I'm driving at the wrong side. Well, I mean, I don't know. In your country where, where you train, is, is it the same side of the road as in the U.S. or is it the opposite side? No, it's the same. It's the same. Okay, yeah, so yeah. it's not a strictly so, European thing. It's like, I guess, just in the U.K. where they're driving on the opposite side, technically the steering wheels on the other side? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the Englishmen, they, they want to do everything uh, in their own way. So, uh, but we, we, all the other European countries, we, we drive on the right side of the road. All right. Well, pardon, pardon my ignorance. I'm, I'm up here in Canada. No so we drive on the, uh, the, the same side of the road as you do, not on the opposite side. So pardon my yeah. ignorance on that one. Uh, that doesn't make me a good driver. <laughs> what are you like 30 minutes before a fight? Because like, I look at you and you're very laid back, but is there a part where you start getting nervous and you start getting a kind of nervous energy about yourself uh, prior to entering the cage? Yeah, a hundred percent, you know, um, uh, I feel like that's a super intense uh, uh, period of time before I th- uh, before a fight, and I'm just 100% focused uh, on my task. That's how I'm managing that uh, nervous energy is to to focus on the task, and uh, I'm not thinking about anything else uh, 30 minutes before the fight. All right, I'm putting you on the spot here. I have this debate with people all the time. Is Alexander Gustafsson a UFC Hall of Famer? Yes. Yes. Uh, he, he never, he never had the belt though. But you know, I, I have so much respect for Alex. He has done uh, a lot of great things, and he's definitely uh, up there amongst uh, one of the greatest fighters. Uh, but it's hard, you know, when you're in the same era as uh, John Jones and DC. Uh, <laughs> it's tough, but he, he's great. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm glad I'm, I don't have to do, make that decision. But uh, uh, he's uh, he's in the Swedish uh, MMA Hall of Fame, that's for sure. Well, that's 100%. <laughs> but I, I actually agree with you. I think that he should be in the UFC Hall of Fame. I think that j- during a time, again, like you said, with John Jones and Daniel Cormier, two very unbeatable fighters, he gave them the fights of their lives. And he was uh, one of the best fighters in a division where they just had really strong champions. And one of the few that emerged from Europe very early on, you know, when, when very few fighters, unlike, you know, there was himself, Michael Bisping, there weren't a lot of fighters coming from Europe as pioneers. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And some people even say that he won one of the fights with uh, John Jones. So uh, he, uh, it was very close, at least. So, yep, uh, Alexander needs uh, all the, all, all, uh, should get all the credits in the world. All right, Jack, well, it's a pleasure uh, chatting with you. Um, make sure that you drive carefully when you're with your coach. We don't want, you know, we don't want him to get all freaked out before the fight. And I, I appreciate your time. Thank you for doing this. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm now joined by Marvin Vittori, who's in the main event this weekend against Jack Hermanson. You know, everybody's talking about Jack. This is his third opponent. This is his third opponent. This is your third opponent too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So you you were originally matched up with uh, Omari Akhmedov, who you uh, have fought previously. Uh, then you were matched up against Jacques Array, and now Jack Romanson. You're climbing up the ladder each time in terms of ranking. But uh, when they offered this fight to you, I imagine it was a no-brainer for you. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I was super happy, and uh, I got I had a quick thought about the weight, but you know I was pretty sure I could have I could I could have do it, could have done it. 
and um and I was like hell yeah like you know these years this this old time it all it all comes down to opportunity like this so I definitely jumped right on it yeah, I was going to say, it's kind of like good karma for you. You kept uh, accepting the fight with Carl Roberson. It kept falling through. All the stuff kept happening. And now here you are fighting uh, the number four guy in the world. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. And in a sense, if, you, if we see the silver lining, you all, it all ended up for the better. So, yeah, you're right. I've been through a lot, but, you know, somehow it's paying off. I feel like you're a very healthy guy. You know, there are people that they call keyboard warriors. They send insults to people online. You're like the opposite. You go and find these people and have conversations with them in person to try to clear the air. That must be good for you because you don't have that stuck in your brain once you once you get that out there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want, you know, like, I, I'm about it. Like, I'm not just going to be, like, uh, like typing shit up and then be, like, you know, like, be all shy when, when, when I see them. Like, I, I'm about it. I'm like, okay, let, let, let me see. You know, and, you know, it just... It's it's crazy how, how much you can tell by just staying in front of a person and then talking really quick and like even a couple of words like you know we're we're in the business of fighting and fighting is not just in the cage you can tell a lot by how like what's the person it's about even by uh, very little encounters and like you know like I'm ready for everything but like it's not that when I go up to a person most likely I have the intention to fight him even though I don't like the guy you know but. Uh, you can tell. You can tell a lot of things. Uh, I, I can see a lot of things, and uh, that's why. That's why, you know? I like that. I'm about it. Do you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm at all? Have you ever seen that show? Who? The show Curb Your Enthusiasm. Have you ever watched that? No, I don't think so. No. They, do, they do this thing where they stare into the other guy's eyes to see if, if like you said, they're about it. So who's not about it? Who have you spoken to where you, you say they, they don't want to be in that conversation with you? You know who's not about it? Adesanya is not about it. Like Adesanya, when it's when it's time to like, he he'll show up to fights. Like he'll he'll show up in the cage, but outside he's not about it at all. He's he's not. He's not. And he's he's a little like he's all over the place with his head. And he he he'll he'll put it together for the fight, but outside like because I saw what he said a couple times like a while ago uh, on an interview. And it, it, it was all, it, it was, he was lying, straight up lying to what actually happened. So he's not about it. Uh, I don't know who else. Um, uh, I don't know. Now, now the first that comes to my mind is that, is, that, is that design. So you walked up to him, you saw him, and uh, yeah, what yeah. was the conversation like? Oh, I, you know, I saw him uh, out of a, a hotel in Vegas. And uh, and I saw him and I'm like, uh, hey, what's up? I'm like, designer, come over. And then uh, he came and I was like, uh, he was with a with a guy. I was with another friend of mine. And I was like, um, hey, so why did you completely change your uh, your uh, uh, version of how you how you were speaking uh, right after our fight and then how you went out and talked to the to the media and what you were telling me before. And then they, they, they went a little bit like the, the conversation uh, a little bit escalated, but not that much. And then he was like, his friend stepped in between, like, oh, we got to go our taxi there. And then it was all bullshit because they waited longer than our taxi, like for, for their taxi, longer than, than our taxi. Like, and, uh, you know, they had to leave and he wanted, he didn't really want to uh, keep the conversation going. And, and I saw him like being really uncomfortable, you know, and then he was all like trying to be friendly with me and stuff. And, you know, just not to be an asshole, I was like, yeah, but, you know, I'll see you soon. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And like, you know, like you can kind of tell like he was like trying to be very friendly and I was trying to kind of be like, you know, like, I don't want to really be your friend. You know, I don't give a fuck about being your friend. Uh, but, um, yeah, that's what happened. And then, and then he went out and talked about, and then he went out and, and, and uh, talked about uh, in his interview and he's like, oh, yeah, Marvin tried to come up, but I kind of just pushed him away. And like, no, what the fuck are you talking about? It, it, it was it was a five minute conversation. What's your fucking talking about? It's your full shit. Um, but yeah, man, that's it. So what what part of his story has changed? Like, does he talk about the fight in different terms? Like that was a very close fight, obviously split decision. Uh, I know he thought it shouldn't have been a split decision. He said one of the judges was on meth or something along those lines after the fight. Well, but uh, what what's changed about his his version of the story? About our encounters or about what he said about after the fight about what he said after the fight well you know you can really tell like you know the fight finishes and he's all pissed and he's not happy with his performance he's all down and then and then um um he comes up to me and he's like jeez oh, i have another one squeezed right next to it but i can't do it now and um and he's like um uh, so he, he was all, like, unhappy. And then he was, like, uh, he came to me. He's like, oh, when I come by, I'm like, if I if I ever come to California, I want to stop by Kings and train. And uh, and uh, we'll see each other again. That's, that's exactly what he said. We'll see each other again. And then he goes, they raise his hand, and he's all, like, down. You know, like, his body language is the same. Fuck, like, like he's like, oh, really? I, I, did, did they actually think that I won? And then... Uh, he goes out and speak right on the post fight and he's like giving me credit and saying no I didn't expect him to do this and that and he has a marble head this and that then he goes down to the media and he start like going all out saying like um, oh like the guy that gave it to him must must have been on cocaine like we're like and he changed you know it's like oh like like I I, I over Overwork, but to be honest, man, one of the things I was saying actually back then to him too is like, listen, man, like either either of us shouldn't be happy how the fight went. We don't like each other. We should have we should have make it that we should have make that fight clear, like who's the best fighter, and really hurt each other. That that's what it's about. I don't like you. I want to hurt you. And um, the way it went down, I was I was clean, but man, I'm I'm talking too much about this. I don't I don't really give a fuck about. Neither Adesanya and neither uh, neither uh, this thing. Uh, now I, I wanna I, I'm 100% focused on Jack Hermans on this Saturday, but that's 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 why I was saying that he's not really about it. Well, it seems like you keep a mental inventory of all of these things just to make sure that you can you can figure out you know your differences with these these individuals. But Jack Hermanson, I mean. His last uh, win is against your teammate Kelvin Gastelum. Was that a motivating factor here too? I mean, is that on your mind? It is in a sense, and I think uh, Kelvin Gastelum uh, like uh, made a mistake, and uh, Jack Hermanson was good at uh, capitalizing that. But you know, I, I I think Kelvin Gastelum is a better fighter. Like like out of ten times that they fight, he, he'll he'll win he'll win nine. But he, you know, at the end of the day, no excuses. Like you know, he got caught, and uh, you know, he Jack Hermanson won fair and square. But he is because you know like. Uh, you know, representing Kings and then, and, and, and I want to, I want to kind of avenge him for sure. 
I've seen you in person, and I imagine you cut a lot of weight to make 185. And I see Kelvin in person, and it amazes me how good this guy is for 185, given his size. Like, he is uh, absolutely unbelievable. I, you know, I, I don't think he gets enough credit for just how good he is in the middleweight division and how, how, uh, how well he fought against uh, Israel. And I, I do think he's going to bounce back soon. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just think the guy deserves a lot of credit, and I'm sure you know how tough this guy is from training with him all the time. Oh, man, like, Kelvin can beat anybody, man. Like, but Kelvin, he's, 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 he's a specimen. Like, the guy, like, might not look like he's, like, he's all, like, uh, like, he's not that tall, but, you know, like, he, he has that, like, first of all, he has that uh, uh, Mexican spirit, which is, which is insane. And second of all, he hits like a truck. And then, uh, and, uh, he's fast. He, like, honestly, like, he's, 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 he can beat anybody. Uh, like, Kelvin is he's a beast, man. Absolutely. And uh, your coach, Rafael Cordero, uh, was just coaching Mike Tyson this past weekend. Uh, did you, did you any cool stories from that? Has he talked to you about uh, uh, cornering Mike Tyson this past weekend? I still haven't seen him since, uh, but uh, it's, just, it's, just, it's just awesome to see him. Like, uh, one day he's training us, and then the next day he's training Mike Tyson. You know, it's just crazy. Like, uh, he's, you know, normally I would have been like, Oh, like you know, like if you if you barely see someone that you know next to Mike Tyson, oh, I know that guy, you know. And then you see one day, one day he's actually uh, teaching on the gym to us, and the next day he's, he's up and uh, and being Mike Tyson's main coach. So actually awesome! I can't wait to see him uh, now on Thursday. Did uh, Tyson train at the gym? At, you know, during this camp with you? No, no. Actually, no, man. Because he was fighting Roy, that he's an Orthodox and. There was a there was a moment when I was almost about to spar him, then it didn't come together. But um, I would I would love to do it in the future. You know? So you almost sparred against Mike Tyson. That's pretty cool. I mean, oh, just just oh. being able to say that is pretty cool. True, true, true. That is super cool. Yeah, I was looking forward to that. But I, I hope if he fights again, he fights a uh, Southpaw, so I can I can definitely help him out. That'd be awesome. It seems like Evander Holyfield wants to face him next. I mean, that's it seems like you're getting into a time machine now. I what? Evander Holyfield apparently wants to fight, face him next. It feels like we're getting into a time machine, getting to see that classic get run back. Yeah, 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 yeah. That'd be that, that'd be crazy. I saw I saw Evander Evander Holyfield throwing at the bag. He still looks good, man. But Mike Tyson looked great in his last fight too. Like, it's, yeah, I think I think it'd be a great fight. Like, like this guy, and that's you know, like these guys are like high, high, high level athletes, and they they'll bring it. They'll bring it. They're not like some, I don't know, like. You know, you see, you can see some athletes, they were good, and then they lost their prime, and they're never going to come back. But these are high-level athletes. Like, like they'll, if they show up, they'll, they'll show up. Like, they'll, they'll bring a fight. It's not, it's not going to be like their prime, but still going to be a good fight. Last question for you. I saw an interview that you'd done previously where you talk about you're able to live with losing a close decision or losing a decision, but you don't ever want to be finished in a, in a fight. Why is that important to you? Yeah, man, because, like, you know, I see, like, it's a real-life fight, in a sense, you know, and, uh, I, you know, I can live with, with, I mean, you know, like, at the end of the day, it's like judges giving it to one more than another, but, like, finish to me is, like, you know, it's it's almost like it, it would have meant death in real life, you know, it's, that's the, that's the way I see it, it would have meant that I'm dead, you know. And I cannot, I can, I cannot let that happen. 
Yeah, so I guess what you're saying is like the judges, they're creating their own kind of parameters of who they decide wins the fight. But in a, in a real fight, like if there's no referee, no judge, it's going to be determined one way or another. So if you get finished, that's as if you've actually lost a real fight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It means like, in nature, it would have been like, you know, there was a piece of food because we were both starving and uh, you'll get that piece of food. And I eat, and you go out and maybe starve to death, or maybe I mean you gotta go out and look for something else. I mean, you know, like that—that's how I see. It. I cannot let that happen. I cannot let somebody take my food. Well, the Italian dream is all about it. I enjoyed speaking with you. Uh, best of luck this weekend against Jack Romanson in the main event. Thank you very much, my man. I'm now joined by Kayla Harrison, one of the top fighters in the world today. Off the heels of some pretty big news in the PFL, Clarissa Shields, uh, a fellow Olympian, a fellow Olympic gold medalist, has signed. Uh, does that give you a new sense of purpose in terms of the PFL next year? Two-time Olympic champion. So we got two two-time Olympic champions now. That's a lot. That's a lot. There's not many of us. No, but no, you're going to be under the same umbrella. Is that is that like a new sense of purpose for you? I mean, that that must be a pretty big shark to look at. I'm super excited for Clarissa. She's young. She's hungry. She's a super talented young lady. Um, I think it's a fantastic move for her business-wise. But she's brand new in the sport of MMA. You know, I was once a beginner in the sport, and she needs time to develop and, and get to I, what I would say is the level that I'm at now. So... I would say that I'm the shark in the water watching the young fish grow up, not the other way around, but I'm pumped for it. I mean, I think this is great. I think this is only going to help the sport of, of MMA, especially women's MMA, and it's definitely damn good for the PFL. Absolutely, and I think that it's something that is designed to keep you interested. I mean, you're going through all the names in the PFL, and I mean, now you've got something to look ahead to. If, if there's two sides of a bracket and she's able to work her way up, certainly a, a good... Uh, you know, finale for, for the season. Absolutely. I mean, listen, I, I told the PFL a long time ago to sign these girls. You know, when um, Cyborg became a free agent, uh, I wanted them to sign her. She just, you know, she got offered too much money by Bellator, and um, that was a style of promotion that she was used to. PFL is a little bit different in the sense that we have a tournament, a season, and things like that. Um, but for Clarissa, I think it's great. She comes again from an Olympic style background. So she knows that if you want money, you have to win. And that's why I, I really liked the PFL. And I think that's probably another reason she liked it as well. And we're completely equal. We get paid as much as the men. So no, I'm pumped that there's another big name added to the roster. I think it's great. And I'm, I'm excited to see her develop and see where it goes. Now she's not fully committed to MMA. She also wants to stay in boxing and become a, be a, two sport champion at the same time. And she has really big aspirations in that sense. Is that possible? I mean, are, are you able to split your focus when you're in mixed martial arts? Because there are so many tools, so much catching up she has to do. I think that's going to be tough. I think it'll be tough to, um, it's going to be really hard to be dominant in both. Um, especially if I have anything to say about it. Uh, but <laughs> I think she's going to have to pick her poison eventually. And I think, you know, I, I know Clarissa. I like her. I, I'm a fan of hers. I think once she gets a taste of MMA and what she, once she sees how much there is to do and how much she has to learn and just how, like, crazy big this sport is, 
I think she's going to devote herself full time to that. I think she's going to realize just also the amount of opportunities that she's going to have are going to be so much bigger in MMA. Um, she's conquered the boxing world, you know, and she's done so flawlessly. So I feel like she has nothing left to prove in the boxing world. Um, but I think she'll get there for herself eventually. Well, what I'm wondering with boxing is if she just stuck to strictly MMA training and they put her in a boxing match, she would still, I mean, it's not like riding a bike, of course, but she has enough training and enough superiority in the sport that she could probably compete in both regardless. For sure. For sure. I mean, you know, I think that I, I haven't put on a gi in probably three years, but if you put me in a gi and said, Kayla, go, you know, let's go have a judo match. I think that I, I'd like to think that <laughs> I've still got it. <laughs> That was going to be my next question. I was going to say, how high of a level of judo could you compete in just from, from just sheer knowledge uh, and your background? Well, listen, I, there's one tournament that I never won, the Paris Grand Slam, and it comes around every February. And every February, I consider just showing up and trying to enter the tournament. But um, the International Judo Federation, unfortunately, doesn't allow <laughs> that. But if they did, I would probably show up and just be like, you know what? I need to win this one. If they just give you a free pass, they're like, okay, Kayla, we're going we're gonna to give if you a get-out-of-jail-free card. I would show up. I would throw down. <laughs> Literally throw down. Why do you think that there haven't been as many women in, in the heavier divisions in MMA that have been developed? It seems like there's only been, I guess, Adam Waite um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and above up until about featherweight. And then at 155, it's kind of a new ballgame. Yeah, I think because there just hasn't been a lot of opportunity. I think, first of all, you have to remember women's MMA is so young of a sport you know it's still just developing it's in the early years it's in the embryo stage in terms of um how long it's been around compared to men of course there were a lot of underground and lower level promotions and things but it wasn't that long ago that you know the ufc bellator you know big promotions said you know women aren't going to fight it, it's pretty new and i think it's growing exponentially i think that it's exploded all across the world and it's only a matter of time before these bigger divisions start to to develop you know there the reality is women come in all different shapes and sizes just like men you know i think the average female weight is like 155 pounds actually like i don't know what like 1950s like utopia world most people think we live in but women most women do not weigh like 120 pounds okay um and I think you just have to build it and they will come, you know, it, it takes time to develop these things. It takes um, people with strong backbones and, and strong shoulders who are willing, willing to have it built on them. Um, and I'm just so proud to be a small part of that. I'm proud to have helped start a 155 pound division. I'm proud that Clarissa, who has said openly that she can't make 145, has a place to come to. I mean, she's a fantastic athlete and now she's going to have an opportunity to compete because I said, hey, I don't want to fight 145 pounds. I don't think it's healthy. I don't want to do it. And the PFL said, okay, we believe you. We trust in you. Let's do this. And, I mean, that's like, I don't know. I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, as you should be. Basically, a division was created because of you, which is <laughs> it's a pretty big deal. Um, so since you – yeah, there you go, a little Barry Horowitz pat on the back. Uh, <laughs> since you were, you know, 10-plus years ago, it's been wake up, train, rest, train, go to sleep, repeat – you're now, I've heard in some interviews that you've done recently, a guardian of two children. So I am. How, how has that kind of changed in, in terms of giving you a sense of purpose? You know, a lot of athletes, they wonder what life's going to be like after they're done competing. You kind of have um, a new focus that's been added to your life. 
I do. I do. I certainly do. I recently became the guardian of um, my niece and nephew. Unexpected, but a huge blessing in my life. Um, and my nephew is two and my niece is seven. And the terrible twos are a real thing. I just want everyone to know for all of you non-parents out there, the terrible twos, they exist. They're real. They're terrifying. Um, so I'll pray for anyone who has a two-year-old, just like I pray for myself every night. Um, but it is, it has been really humbling. Um, and it's given me a newfound appreciation for parents. You know, I thought that being an Olympic champion or being a fighter and stepping in a cage was hard. I thought that, you know, what I did was so special and, and this great thing, but it really holds no candle to what it is to be a parent or to, to be a guardian and, and to be in charge of a young child's life and, and to make sure that they become well-rounded, happy, healthy, loved, um, safe individuals. You know, that is just such a huge responsibility and one that I don't take lightly and one that has really um, changed my life for the better. You know, I think that obviously fighting is fun. I love it. Being the best in the world at what you do is, is fun. It's like, there's no greater high in the world than that. But, um, caring for them has, has really made my life so much more whole. And, um, my life was pretty empty before and now it's not, you know, now it's, it's full. The house is, my house is messy. I'm always tired. I'm always hungry. Um, I'm always stressed, but it's like the best. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I'm just, it's the best stress I could ever ask for. You know, it's great. Well, as the father of a beautiful two-year-old girl, I appreciate your prayers and thoughts that, uh, <laughs> for people like myself. Oh, I know. I've got three of them. It's crazy. I can't believe it. He's so sweet and innocent sometimes. And then it's just like a something snaps. And I'm like, who? Uh, what is this tantrum about? I wish you could tell me. <laughs> now, I wonder, because you've been such a, a devoted athlete, what's the most time you've taken off in like the last 10 years? Like the most time you've taken away from training? Um, well, I took time off after the 2012 Olympics. And I took some time off after the 2016 Olympics. Um... And then I started training MMA shortly after the 2016 Olympics, and I didn't really stop. Um, I probably started in early 2017 training MMA. And then by 2018, I had my, my professional debut. And since then, I've really only taken, like, I think the most I took off was 20 days or something like that. Um, but even before that, I mean, when I moved to Boston, I was 16. I didn't take – I'm. I think after the London Olympics, I took the most time off. And that was because I was 22. I had just won America's first Olympic gold medal. I had never had a drink. <laughs> um, and I had, a, I had a lot of fun from August of 2012 until like December of 2012. And then I got back to, got back to work. Yeah, I was going to say, do you know what to do with downtime? Like you're so wired for perfection, really. Uh, that it's hard to, hard to figure out what to do. I do not thrive. Um, that COVID has been a hard, was a hard year for me before the kids, because it's like, I am not, I struggle without, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just structure? routine. Yeah. yeah. Structure. Yes. Thank you. Structure. I need structure in my life or, 
I go off the tracks pretty easily. You know, I'll find myself like seven episodes deep of a, some random show and it's like 1 a.m. in the morning and I'm like, what have I been doing? There's like bonbons on the bed, just like wrappers all over the place. Like it's not a, it's not a pretty look. So I need structure. Now I'm usually in bed by nine o'clock every night. The kids are up at 6 a.m. at the crack of dawn. You know, we, we're from 6 a.m. until 9, 9 o'clock. We're going. I'm training. They're going to school. I'm going to training. They're going to tutoring. We got gymnastics. We got mommy and me gymnastics. We got all kinds of stuff going on. So it's it's good. I like structure. Kids like structure, too. So it's been good. I'm happy to hear that. I mean, I know that uh, I've watched interviews with you. I did a bit of a Kayla Harrison deep dive before we spoke. And I know that you've mentioned that judo saved your life. Like you had really rough teenage years. And uh, if not for Jimmy Pedro and, and having that kind of structure in judo, you don't know what would have happened. Um, mm. Tell me a little bit more about, you know, how judo and how having this kind of structure and routine has helped you just in life and, and in thriving uh, as, as in, you know, in becoming an adult and becoming an athlete. Absolutely. Well, you know, I definitely went through a lot of hardship as a young teen. Um, I was sexually abused by my first coach. And um, there was definitely a point in my life where I didn't, I didn't want to live anymore. Um, I was not, I wasn't happy. I was hopeless. Um, and really, judo and the Pedros did save my life, and they changed my life. Not only judo changed my life because of the Pedros. You know, it could have been knitting or swimming or whatever. Um, but having a goal, having something to wake up for every day, but more important than that, having people around me who believed in me before I believed in myself, um, it changed the trajectory of my life. It changed who I became as a person. You know, I very easily could have become just another statistic, um, but I didn't. And it's because of the people that were around me. And that's why I truly... Um, you know, I just know that there's not ever going to be any hurdle too big, any setback too far, any wall that I can't run through because I know I've been through the toughest things in life and, and I've overcome them. And I've, I'm still to this day, you know, the Pedros are always going to be in my corner and the people that truly believe in me are always going to surround me. And learning that from a young age and having that instilled in me you know, that discipline and, and I may not always be motivated, but I can always be disciplined and waking up every day and not hitting the snooze button. And all of that is instilled in me. Like, I literally just don't know how else to be. This is literally who I am. And it's made me successful, not just in my career, but it's made me successful and happy in my life. Is it just about changing, you know, focusing on where you're putting your energy and, and having somewhere to put your energy so that you're, you know, not, not alone with your thoughts all the time and you have yeah. focuses, you have goals. Yeah. I think it's super important for everyone. I think mental health and everyone can be greatly affected by that. You know, one of the things that I still do to this day that I've done since I was a kid is write my goals down. Um, I write down what I want to achieve. I write down you know, the three key areas that I need to focus on in order to achieve that goal. And then I put it somewhere I can see it every day. And then I take the steps necessary in order to achieve it. You know, it's not just, it's the structure, but it's also following through with it. Like, it's very easy to say, all right, I'm going to make a plan. And then, well, oh, today, like, I'm a little sore today. Maybe I won't do that. Or, oh, I'm a little tired today. Or, oh, you know, Kyla doesn't really need to go to gymnastics. It's kind of like, a, it's an extracurricular. She doesn't need to do it. I'm tired. I don't feel like taking her. 
it's not only having a game plan and having a goal or having something to, to strive for, but also executing that game plan. And when you hold yourself accountable, you'll start to see great results. And that's one thing I really admire about you from, again, watching different videos of you talking about visualization and talking about how at night you're like, I'm, I'm picturing myself beating this person and beating this person and, and, and this is how I'm going to do it and all of that. But then not only having that in your mind, because in, in your mind you're winning, you, you still go and put in the work the next day, right? Like you still have to go and improve yourself. And that, that's the part that I really admire because you could, you're able to build the mental confidence, but in order to, you know, also put that mental confidence aside and be like, okay, well, I need to do this and this and this to get here. I really admire that that I could just visualize and it happened. I wish that that was how it works. That would be fantastic for my body, for, for, you know, my, my headaches. I think that if I could just visualize it into happening, that would be fantastic. But, you know, realistically, I train my mind the same way I train my body and I don't skip, I don't skip reps of mentally visualizing it and I don't skip days at the gym. Um, and I think when you put those two together and, and you find a true, you know, I have a confidence in myself because, number one, I, I know I've done the work. I know no one works harder than me. Number two, I visualize it. I, I rep that in my head every night that I'm the best, that I can do this, that, you know, there's no one that can stop me. And I just, like, when you put those two things together, you have sort of an inner confidence and an inner peace that really can't be touched. So you're thinking about your opponents Who's the opponent you think about the most? Like, if you were to, to, to name one person that you visualized yourself beating the most often, who is it? Um, well, to be quite honest with you, I don't really put a face to the opponent at night until I have a name. Um, like, if I don't have a fight, go, if I don't have a fight booked, then I just visualize myself, you know, holding up a belt or my hand being raised. Or I visualize going through the warm-ups. I visualize... You know, the things that I've been working on in practice that I want to execute in a fight, such as, you know, I want to friggin' land a straight punch to the, I want to knock somebody out. I want to knock somebody down. Or like my last fight, I visualized a lot um, elbows because I had never thrown an elbow in a fight and I really wanted to inflict some damage with an elbow. So I visualized that a lot and I didn't necessarily have a face that the elbow was landing on, but I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um... So I don't have one particular person. I know that that's, see, this is what you reporters all want to do. Like, oh, feel like I nothing. But I don't, there's not one particular person. My biggest competition is myself. And as long as I continue to improve every single day, then I know I'm going to get where I want to be. Well, I'm glad you weren't picturing your previous opponent because you would have been picturing someone smiling maniacally. And that's very difficult to want to attack. She, that... she, she kind of freaked me out. Like she had, a, she had this calm about her that I just, I'm like, you're going into face Kayla Harrison right now. And you're smiling think, like you're about that? to like be going to your own birthday party. That, that, that kind of worried me. I'm glad that you noticed that because it freaked me out too. She was way too calm about the whole thing. And then she walked out to the Lion King and I was like, I was having a hard time staying focused. I was picturing my niece and nephew and I watching The Lion King, and it was, like, throwing me off a little bit. And then I was like, come on, Kayla. Like, let's go. Get your head in it. <laughs> it yeah, it freaked me out. I mean, they, they made you come out first because you're the visiting team. You're coming from the PFL. And then she's coming out, and she's I smiling. I out first before either, by the way. So that was new. I was like, oh, I'm walking out first. This is what this feels like. Now I have to wait for her. And then she walks out to The Lion King smiling. And I was like, is this girl crazy? Like, what's going on here? And you were able to put it, pull it together and you got to throw that elbow that you had been visualizing and I unfortunately I got it painted the cage red. 
That's right. <laughs> well, your goal is to be the greatest of all time one day. Are you able to accomplish that goal without ever joining the, you know, the Uf UFC at some point in time? Well, you know, I don't know. With PFL signing people like Clarissa, I think that's a great start. Um, obviously, I have to go where the best competition is. I know that if I want to be the best, I have to beat the best. Um, I'm, I have a year left on my PFL contract. I'm going to fulfill those duties, um, win another million, and we'll see where it takes me after that. But, you know, make no mistake, I don't do this for money. I mean, I do a little bit now because I got two kids and those – Little suckers are expensive, but um, <laughs> I do this because I want to be the best in the world, and that's it. And I do it because I love it, and that inner drive is something that can't be um, – I can't be stopped. So we'll see what happens um, one, one fight at a time. What did you do with the first million? How did you did you invest a lot of it? I'm guessing you didn't go to Sawgrass and spend it all or anything along those lines, but did you, did you uh, invest it for the most part? I did. Yeah, no, I definitely, um, I have financial advisors. I've had them since I was actually, since I won my first, uh, judo bonus at like 22 when I won the Olympics, I got 25 grand. So I've had them from day one and I'm definitely a saver, not a spender. So, uh, I, I invested most of it. I think I took my mom on a little, little vacation. I can't remember what we did. What did we do? I think I just flew her down to, to Florida for a week or two, and she, we went to the Keys. But I didn't do anything too exciting, unfortunately. All right, and finally, like I mentioned, I did a bit of a deep dive, and I saw this weird prank show where this guy in a wig was trying to grapple with you at a party. Were you in on this? Like, give me, give me the lowdown on what happened there. There's this TV show called Impractical Jokers, um, and it's very, very popular and, like, ages 18 to 45 year old men, I guess I'm more well known for impractical jokers, I think than anything else in my entire career. Um, so after the first Olympics, I think they asked, they reached out to my assistant and they asked me if I would be a punishment on their show, which is like a prank show. And I had never seen it, had never heard of it, but my assistant was like, Oh my God, you have to do this. My kids, my boys love it please. So I was like, all right, fine. So I went to, um, some party in the Hamptons and the guy who was in the wig, um, Murray didn't know like what was going to happen. And none of the guests at the party knew, um, only the other, um, jokers knew what was going to happen. And basically I had an earpiece in and they just kind of told me what they wanted me to do. So I just beat the crap. Like they just said like, Oh, rough them up a bit. And then I, roughed him up a bit but none of it was scripted none of it was planned he had no idea like i just kind of beat the crap out of this guy for a day in front of a bunch of strangers <laughs> yeah you threw him through a table and there would be there were these kind of posh people that were looking around and being like yeah but the thing that was weird about it to me was that you i like i wasn't sure if you were invited to the party but you were standing by yourself it seemed like all the time so no, like, so I you didn't, didn't know anybody even, there <laughs> no i didn't know anybody else at the party it was so awkward like everyone was kind of like who's that girl and i was just like <laughs> hanging out, drinking a little drink, like. <laughs> well, it was very weird to watch. I was just saying, as somebody who didn't know the show, I just, I was curious what you were, what was going through your mind with this guy. I didn't think you were in on it when I was watching it. I thought that they had just had some guy harassing you. No, I was in on it. He wasn't, like, he didn't know. They told him when he got to the party. I was a punishment, so he lost, like, a bet or something. And when he got to the party, he found out that I was a, an Olympic champion and 
et cetera, et cetera. So he, uh, he was told like, your punishment is you have to fight her. Um, but none of it was scripted. I was really nervous, actually. Like, I was like, you know, he's not going to sue me if I, like, hurt him or anything, right? Like, this is, like, he's cool with it, right? And, but it was, it actually ended up being really, really fun. I had a blast. The guys were super nice guys. Um, it was, it was a really cool experience. All right, Kel. Well, this has been a cool experience for me. It's a pleasure to meet you. And uh, best of luck on all your success. And uh, this year, are, are you done for the year? Or is, I heard there's a, a, might be an opening in Titan FC. What's going on with that? I hope I'm not done for the year, but it's not looking good. Um, I really wanted to fight twice this year. I wanted to just continue to get experience and get better. Um, but I'm, I'm struggling to find an opponent, so it looks like I might have to wait until next year. But we'll see. Well, the good news is that next year is like 32 days away. So we'll, we'll, we'll... I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm making such a big fuss about it. But in all, all reality, I may just have to wait until January to fight. But I'll be fighting again before the PFL season starts, so. Do, do you know where is Titan the likely landing spot or is Invicta planning another event? I Invicta. I mean, really pretty much anyone who will have me. I'm kind of like this, <laughs> I'm just like, pick me, pick me. <laughs> um, I really just want to fight. So PFL has been gracious enough to allow me to, to step outside the contract and fight twice um, before the season starts. And so that's what I'm going to do. Well, I'm sure they'd love to have you. I just think that a lot of the opponent's contracts are getting lost in the mail for whatever reason. That's probably what the <laughs> biggest impediment is. Uh, well, I appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this, and I uh, hope to speak with you again soon. Uh, yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. I'm now joined by Jake Collier. Jake, I was trying to find old interviews with you. I'm trying to find an Instagram account. You don't have anything for me. I, I'm trying to do some research on you. Uh, do you just shy away from doing interviews for the most part? No, not really. I mean, if somebody asked me, I'll do it. But for the most part, no one really ever asked me. <laughs> well, I'm uh, I'm curious to to pick your brain a little bit. Uh, you know, you've been out of action for a while. You came back recently against uh, Tom Aspinall. Uh, I know, obviously, you had a, a tainted supplement kept you out of action. Uh, what what yeah. was it like? I mean, it was almost three years uh, outside of uh, the UFC. What was that time like for you? How, you know, how, what were you doing in terms of uh, trying to manage your feelings during that time? It was crazy. A lot of stuff in my life happened. Uh, you start thinking, like, if, when I get back in there, be able to fight again. Like, will I be too old? Will I still be able to do it? And uh, it was a it was a roller coaster for sure. And were you still sticking with the same routine, training every day, and and just staying prepared? Uh, that and working sixty, seventy hours a week, uh, pay bills. You know, uh, we was trying, I was trying to get as much work with my training partners as possible, but. Really, there was no money coming in, so I was welding my life away. Yeah, so a lot of the time it was you said you were doing welding, so that's what you do. Uh, you're doing during the week. Were you able to find little, you know, little bits of time to train in between? Because a 60, 70 hour work week is uh, doesn't leave a lot of hours left in the day. No, yeah, I mean, I would, I'd at least try to get two, three times in a week, and then um, with a couple of my guys, and, and uh, once we started getting closer to being released, obviously trying to uh, train all help a lot more. What made you decide to move up to heavyweight? You'd fought at the middleweight and then light heavyweight previously. Uh, really, it was the time off uh, that, and then like COVID and everything hit. It's like I really didn't have training partners, so I couldn't really get in a lot of like my last fight. I didn't have a camp really at all because um, of the COVID. Everything people paranoid about getting it and getting their family sick was the main thing. So um, this is easier. I mean, 
I um, definitely want to go back down to 205. That's where I belong. But I think John, me and John are uh, both 205ers, and we're just fighting a heavyweight. Yeah, I guess John has made the move up too. So it's going to be somebody who's uh, in similar size to you uh, in the heavyweight division. I guess Aspinall's probably uh, been fighting at heavyweight for, you know, for quite some time. Uh, do you like that a little bit better, knowing that it's somebody who's going to be you know, fairly similar size to you? Yeah, yeah, realistically. Uh, it's, it's more proportional, I guess you might say. Uh, he's not a giant, so... That, yeah, that's that helps. It's easier to find training partners that size too. So, so, what was the difference between leading up to the Aspinall fight and leading up to this fight? Um, how did uh, training change and, and your life change? Uh, well, the first thing is I quit my job for. Uh, I worked at this place for 14 years and was training full time. I worked full time job the whole time I've been fighting, uh, but for this camp, I literally quit my job and focused everything on training for this fight, working out twice a day, strength conditioning in the morning, training at night, had all of my good core guys that I trained with all the time back. Everybody was, uh, you know, back in the gym training together, and it's, uh, it's been a really good camp. I'm really excited for this. So is this the first time you've been a full-time fighter? You said you've been working there for 14 years. Yeah, I've never, never, ever just trained full-time. How does one become a welder? Is this something you did in, like, a trade school? I uh, learned it from my dad when I was a kid and uh, just kind of took off from there and uh, started welding for a company. And when I just turned 18, a little after I was turned 18, and I was there ever since. Did uh, the, uh, you know, I guess the idea of sitting there and, and, doing, and doing welding, it probably lets you be alone with your thoughts for some time. Did that help you a lot as part of your fighting career to visualize things and, and think things through? Um, and I guess working on that muscle rather than uh, you know, doing physical training. Uh, at the place I was working, it wasn't really like that. It was pretty hectic. I was running a lot of stuff, making sure guys, employees were doing what they were supposed to do. So it was always pretty busy. That was the good thing that for the most part, the days went by pretty fast because we were always so busy. So is that job waiting for you whenever you want to come back to it? If I wanted it, yeah. Cool. Well, that's, uh, that's certainly a good thing, uh, in, in case you need to go back to it in the future. Like you said, um, during that time off, I'm sure you needed to do something to, uh, to bring in income. Um, so when you were, um, deciding to come back, uh, was it just not possible for you to get to light heavyweight because you didn't have, like you said, the facilities COVID had happened and you, it, you know, you were having trouble finding, um, a way of, of keeping in that kind of condition. Yeah. Um, for sure. Like it's, it's hard to, I mean, you can only push yourself so far. You can only run on a treadmill so many days in a row. You need training partners. You need guys there that are going to help you push you and, uh, the the training aspect was really just not there you know i can't train with a 155 or all day long and expect to fight a 205 or you know you need big guys you need guys that are going to help you you're going to push you and when there's really nobody and you have nowhere to train and everywhere now where i'm from you have to wear a mask everywhere and it doesn't matter where you're at you were supposed to fight on the card in march uh, in london uh, I know Ashley Evan Smith and some other fighters ended up in London when they found out that the card had been canceled. Did you make it all the way there when you found out that that fight was going to be postponed? No, I was actually got up that morning to head to the airport and I got a message saying that, yeah, my fight was canceled, which sucked kind of because I had a little bit better training camp for that one. And then we got pushed back and everything kind of went to hell. And when you came back, did they offer you a heavyweight fight or did you call them and say that, you know, that's the division that I want to compete in when I come back? Uh, it was a little both. Uh, it was kind of like short term, like uh, if you wanted to fight a heavyweight, we can match you up or, you know, push it back a little further. You can take a fight at 205, but 
I like to fight, and I'll, sometimes my uh, my mindset isn't right, and I uh, will fight anybody, even though if it's bad for me. <laughs> so uh, you're at the in the UFC at the highest level right right now. You've accomplished a lot. You've got you've got wins under your belt. And what are you hoping to accomplish for the next couple of years? Like what 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 would you say um, is on your bucket list for the remainder of your MMA career? My biggest thing is when I'm on a card, you know, I want fans to watch. You know, I want people to tune in. You know, I mean, you look at a lot of great fighters, you know, they lost a lot of fights, but there's always those one guys like a Forrest Griffin or Donald Cerrone or somebody like that. It doesn't matter how many loses, losses they have or how that, you know, what happens. If they're on the card, people are going to watch it. And honestly, that's, that's where I want to be at. I want people to, I don't care if I'm on the prelims to tune in to watch me fight. So do you prefer not to go to a decision? In other words, like you want to be an action fighter, you want to, you know, provide entertainment. That's, you know, first and foremost uh, in your mind. For sure. I mean, I don't mind decisions as long as it's not us laying on the mat for three rounds. You know, people want to see striking. They want to see entertainment. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's there's great wrestlers and jujitsu guys, but to the average fan, they want to see excitement. Do you think this will be your last heavyweight fight? You're planning on going back to 205 after this? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I definitely want to go back to 205, after, especially after this one. All right, well, it's a pleasure speaking with you. It's yourself, Jean Vellante, this weekend, and I really appreciate your time, Jake. Hey, thank you. A big thank you to all of our guests, Jack Ermanson, Marvin Vittori, Kayla Harrison, and Jake Collier, and we'll be back next week with more interviews next weekend's card. Title fight, flyweight division. We've got Davis and Figueredo taking on Brandon Moreno. I'll have Moreno joining me on the show. Tony Ferguson will join us. Among others, a lot of uh, folks will be joining us to uh, discuss their upcoming bouts. Uh, some Canadians joining us next week. Uh, Eamon Zahabi, hoping uh, to have him on the show. Misha Surkinov making his return to the cage soon against Ryan Spann. So uh, next week's show should be pretty packed leading up to uh, UFC 256. And hey, uh, we might even have Dana White on the show. Lots going on next week. So uh, make sure you stick with us, subscribe, review the show. You know, I'm not the type of guy that wants to always harp on that. You know, review, give us your four-star review. But it does help us a lot. Or five-star review. I don't even know how many stars it is. But whatever platform you consume this show on, it does help us a lot if you give some reviews. I do want to make sure that people are catching these interviews on a week-to-week basis with these great athletes. So please do so if you do have the time and feel so inclined. Thanks for tuning in. Be back next week.